Hello, and welcome back to My Favorite Plague. We know it's been a while, but to keep a long story short, we had some unexpected familial responsibilities that we had to tend to, followed by a trip to Portugal, of all places. Um, that said, this episode will be the last one of the season. But don't fret, don't worry, we will be back in February with Season 2. Thank you for listening, and for your continued support. It's my favorite plague. Mm-hmm. We know plagues are bad, but this is the name of the podcast. It's my favorite plague. Hi, I'm Elise Sardowino. And I'm Jeffrey Todd Knuckles, and welcome to My Favorite Plague. Doing our part in this most recent plague, we bravely stayed home and watched television. Discovering a fascination with plagues, we also kept discussing what our behaviors during a plague said about us and our society. We thought you might enjoy this conversation as well, so every episode, we pick a plague and each present our favorite thing about that plague. After presenting our favorite thing, we discuss what we think it all means. We have created uh, discussion boards on our website, myfavoriteplague.com, so we can hear your opinions and ideas. Too soon? We don't think so. Probably too late, if you ask us. Malaria has been around longer than human beings. A mosquito of the type that carries malaria was discovered in amber and is about a hundred million years old. Over the millennia, malaria has been responsible for the death of four to five percent of the human population. With malaria comes fevers, vomiting, possibly coma, and death. Originally from the Latin, meaning bad air, The name was an understandable confusion that it was the unpleasant air from swampy areas that caused the disease, rather than the mosquitoes that thrived in these same areas. Malaria still causes about 400,000 deaths a year and is more common in areas struggling with property. Getting rid of malaria can involve treatment and a vaccine for children, but prevention has been shown to be far more cost-effective. And now it's time to hear Elise and Todd's favorite things about malaria. And now it's time for Elise. The mosquitoes that carry malaria have been around for a hundred million years. There's new evidence that malaria may have been a significant contributor to the downfall of the dinosaurs. And the fact that these mosquitoes are so old 
may be the reason you can find the anafeline mosquito, which is the malaria-carrying type of mosquito, everywhere in the world. You see, the mosquitoes existed so far back in time that they were part of an extremely ancient supercontinent called Gondwana. Have you ever heard of Gondwana, Todd? I have never heard of Gondwana. Gondwana was, and this was all one continent way, way, way back in the day, Africa, South America, Madagascar, India, Australia, Antarctica, and Arabia. Much about everything. Yeah, it's almost everything. And so since that was all one continent and these mosquitoes are that old, when all of those broke apart into their separate little areas, the mosquitoes were still on them. And that's why malaria is everywhere. And so the mosquito was everywhere. And now, even now, malaria is everywhere, basically. The mosquito from 100 million years ago, the one that was just found, was found by an Oregon State team and was named Prescoculus bermanicus. I think that's how you say it. Prescoculus? Prescoculus? You got me. That would have been my first guess. Okay, yeah. I think it's like the name of a gladiator, right? Right. It was found in amber in Myanmar, which was why they were able to find something so like easily biodegradable as a mosquito. It was preserved in amber in Myanmar. But as I mentioned earlier, it was believed that what is now Myanmar was once Gondwana. This was a new type of mosquito that had ever been found, but the characteristics had the characteristics to carry malaria. George, George Poinar Jr., who spearheaded this research, had previously found a mosquito in amber in the Dominican Republic that was about 15 to 20 million years old, and this mosquito actually was carrying malaria. So it's possible that this newer find, the 100-million-year-old one, could have been biting birds and reptiles and spreading malaria back in the age of the dinosaurs. Poinar and his wife, and his wife wrote a lovely book called What Bugged the Dinosaurs. Get it? Yeah, bugging. They're bugging. The dinosaurs are bugging. They are bugging. And they discuss how, while there were certainly other issues like asteroids and climate, the dinosaurs died out much more slowly than we imagined that they did, and it's possible that the diversification of the mosquitoes helped to pass malaria along to these dinosaurs. So there are five known parasites that live in animals that spread malaria. So I'm not talking about the mosquito. I'm talking about the parasite that lives in the mosquito that carries malaria. So there's five of these kind of parasites, and the big daddy of all these parasites, kind of like the oldest vampire in the world, was an ancient aquatic protozoan invertebrate living several hundred million years ago. These parasites adapted to live in blood-feeding insects and developed what is called a two-host life cycle. First, the parasite lives in the mosquito, then the mosquito spreads the parasite to mammals, birds, and reptiles. So the parasite reproduction happens in the initial host. So we don't become a malaria farm. The initial host, the mosquito, the parasite that lives inside the mosquito reproduces in the mosquito and then passes it along to us. So all we would get is malaria. We wouldn't become a malaria farm for that, in that parasite to just keep reproducing. That's nice. Yeah, see, there's always an upside. That's, yeah. Uh, the, uh, every cloud, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
This parasite originated in what is now Africa, and it followed the migration of human development. Essentially, malaria has always been a part of the human experience and shaped human development. One of the side effects of this is that malaria actually helps shape the human genome. What? <laughs> by, by selecting changes that are protective against malaria, mutations occurred. And although they conferred protection against malaria, they also created the susceptibility to sickle cell disease and several other genetic disorders. Because malaria has actually affected the human genome, the malaria hypothesis has been developed. This hypothesis states that the parasites that cause malaria have left a burden of genetic diseases on millions of people and was a very early constraint to population growth in ancient Africa. Sickle cell is just one of the disorders, but it serves as a good example of the hypothesis. From what I understand, and admittedly some of this is way over my head, but it seems that as populations settled and began practicing agriculture and moved from hunter to gatherer, malaria was spread more easily. This was due to larger groups of people living more closely together. As it spread, just through random mutations, sickle cell traits offered protection against malaria, and the people with the sickle cell trait were able to reproduce more successfully because they weren't dying of malaria. Without complicating matters too much, and some of this stuff can get really complicated really fast, sickle cell disease should be super rare, as each parent needs to have the gene for the child to get the disease. So you can have a sickle cell trait, but if the person you marries doesn't have the sickle cell trait, then your kid won't have sickle cell. Um, but have, so that only having one copy of the gene still gives you protection against malaria. So a disease that should be rare is instead prevalent in malarial regions. And in some parts of Africa still, 20% of the population carry a single copy of the gene. Damn. I know. It's wow. crazy. That's far out, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, the only thing I can guess is that malaria had to kill you faster than sickle cell because it, it, the protection of from malaria allowed you to reproduce. So the fact that malaria was faster than sickle cell means that you the sickle cell trait kept stayed alive. So I guess if we're really going to talk about favorite things about the, to do with the plague, this is my favorite thing because I really had no idea how much impact different plagues had on human society before doing this podcast. But if you're helping to bring down the dinosaurs and changing the human genome, that's serious. And the idea of a disease co-evolving with human beings, that seems crazy to me. Throughout this podcast, I've begun to see that plagues have shaped our development. But this makes the argument in such a direct way and so comprehensively. It also makes another argument, another theme from previous plagues. Once we stopped being hunters and gatherers, we started getting sick. The development of agriculture gets a lot of credit for the development of civilization. But large groups of people living in a small area, especially for generations, means that disease spreads and the people adapt. When, you just, when it's just you and your tribe and you're out there wandering the land for, I don't know, antelope or deer or whatever ancient version of antelope and deer are out there, you could conceivably kill the tribe, but it would end there. 
Malaria demonstrates that once we began living in close quarters, pandemic disease became a thing and we have never looked back. Now our DNA is actually altered and we are who we are in part because of malaria. If, I feel like we are impacted, as we said in the previous podcast, by everything in our environment, but this isn't just interdependence with other things in the environment. This is actually our genome changing because of malaria. That's crazy. Um, you know, so I guess from stardust to mosquitoes to everything, all those YouTube yoga instructors who say we're all one, we're all connected, they're all right. I know. It's so disheartening. I know. Mm. I thought they were full of crap, but I think that they might be right. We're all connected, Todd, mm. even to the mosquitoes. Know, it makes me really that yuck. <laughs> yuck. No, thank you. Go away, hippie yoga instructor. Be gone. Be gone with the... Uh, so how long ago was this uh, this dig where they found the mosquito in amber? It was very recently. I'm not sure the adult, this um, George Poinar, he just keeps finding mosquitoes in amber. Like, that's his thing. And so I know that a while ago he found the one in the Dominican Republic. And just recently, and I put a picture of him on our Instagram holding the mosquito in amber. It's pretty cool. And so then he just found the one that was um, 100 million years old rec very recently. Wow. Cool. I know. Imagine that's your thing. Like, you just find mosquitoes in amber. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's yeah. that's your resume. <laughs> it is really cool. He, in the picture, he's holding the amber. Like, all. he just looks so cool. And now it's time for Todd. I'm going to tell you about my groovy, jazzy little favorite, favorite thing that I found out while doing research about malaria. Okay. Roman Empire. <laughs> 600 B.C. Okay, so the Italian peninsula, uh, we're talking 600 B.C. Roman Empire. Uh, probably around the very beginning of the Roman Empire, the, the Italian peninsula was a fairly marshy in, in antiquity. So they had malaria outbreaks uh, quite often, which would send people to high and dry ground. And that's one of the reasons when they dig up old villas these days, uh, you know, like and old old villas like from the Roman Empire uh, and such, uh, they are often on a hill and in similar places. So the Roman Empire aqueduct system uh, brought in a fresh supply of water constantly into uh, into the city, but it would also bring in lots of areas of standing water, which would allow mosquitoes to breed. Also, uh, a growing empire meant that for agriculture and farming. And livestock, they were usually clearing land, i.e. deforestation. Mm. This led to standing water, which leads to mosquitoes breeding. Standing water is like a far side cartoon nightclub for mosquitoes. It's where they go to pick up and get some action. So, also, and another thing, the Tiber River, which is right near Rome, would flood pretty much once a year, which would turn large parts of the ancient city into essentially uh, swamps, uh, which is where mosquitoes breed. So, ancient Romans, and it could have been by order of the, actually at the time, this is before it became a republic, uh, the, I think it could have been the king, but it was uh, ancient Romans, you know, maybe like uh, authorities in the city and the king. They figured out that all this standing water was not a good thing. 
and was having a bad effect on the health and well-being of the citizens of Rome. So Roman authorities uh, drew up plans for what is called the Cloaca Maxima. What? So, I actually have what written out here. Uh, the Cloaca Maxima was a huge sewer system and one of the largest public projects <coughs> excuse me, of the ancient world. <coughs> and it does what sewers uh, do. It drains flood water and waste from Rome. Uh, so, Rome starts to dry out. Uh, malaria cases drop and the city population starts to increase. Now, one of the reasons the population starts to increase is that other cities that did not have proper a proper sewage system, uh, they start to become abandoned uh, and because people are dying there. And then a lot of these people that aren't dying are like, hey, people in Rome aren't dying. So they're not getting sick and dying. People are getting sick and dying in their own little town and they're not getting sick and dying in Rome. So, hey, let's go to Rome. They're alive there uh so <laughs> hey they're alive there <laughs> they're like, alive. usually you're moving because there's better jobs or nicer weather yeah. but you move to rome because hey what, they're not dying there what with the aliveness and goodness of it all they go there <laughs> uh fast forward to around the year 434 ce there was this crazy guy that we know as attila the hun and Attila and his army of banditos are marauding and plundering all sorts of places that we now call France or Switzerland or Luxembourg and, of course, northern Italy. So around the year 452, this is, this is, check this out. So around the year 452, Attila. I'm checking it out. Yeah, all right. Attila, <laughs> he's, so around the year 452. <laughs> Attila's got his heart set on the big prize of Rome, right? And this guy, Pope Leo I, arranges a sit-down, right? And here's the catch. Mafia style. Yeah, he arranges a sit-down. Uh, and here's the catch. No one really knows why, but Attila withdraws his, ho his, his hoops, his troops, and heads back to Hungary. Now, some say it was because the Pope uh, gave him a bunch of cash to just go away, and that's certainly one reason. Uh, and some say he threatened them with the might of the Roman military. However, increasingly, scholars are now saying he may have pointed out to them that his soldiers were dying, and that, and that, and that, and that, that as they got closer and closer to Rome, his soldiers would all but die off because Rome was rife with malaria. Um, yeah, because he was Attila the Hun was already getting you know payment from people you know protection money basically you know from him like so it was mafia style. Um, I yeah, mean, like he would invade once and then say, "I could yeah, come I, back. I could come back. You need to pay me money." Yeah, he was getting tribute already, all sorts of tribute. So he didn't know. he didn't need the Pope's money. So he probably didn't need his money, but and he was going to so, get it anyways. Right. So, and he, you know, had a kind of fairly invincible army. So, you fast forward again. In 2001, an article in the New York Times, an analysis of bones of a three-year-old in, in an ancient children's cemetery. Just north of Rome, British and American scientists say they have found the earliest genetic evidence of malaria. They believe that this particular dig pr proves that the... 
that a widespread outbreak of malaria may have led to the fall of the Roman Empire. This is in Lugnano, L-U-G-N-A-N-O, and it is from around the year 450. What? And that was the year. And that was around the same time that the Pope went to see Attila, Attila had a sit-down with him in northern Italy, and said, you don't want to go there. So there's, like... Uh, archaeological evidence that this Pope story could be true because malaria was is proven to have been widespread. Right. There. So giving them money just it kind of doesn't make sense to give that, that right. he was already getting tribute um, and threaten them with the, the the might of the Roman Empire. I mean that's just that it wasn't a thing at that. He wasn't scared of the of, you right. know it may have been a big a, a bigger challenge than other places, but he felt know. he was feeling pretty confident. Yeah, you know. You know, it's pretty cool that you say this because I didn't know this was what you were researching. And I put on our Instagram page pictures of this archaeological dig of this children's cemetery in Lugdano or however you say it. And it's it's startling. I mean, infant skeletons are always creepy. But to protect the infant skeleton, they put it in this ceramic container. And it's this picture of an infant skeleton in a ceramic container. And it's on our Instagram page. It's just it's it's amazing. So really, it's creepy, but it's also like clearly care was taken with this child. And right. I didn't know you were going to talk about this. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Mm. And that's it. And that is the story. Uh, and that's what I found so fascinating is that they do believe that malaria may have taken down the Roman Empire. But malaria probably, more than likely, drove uh, helped uh, the Roman Empire not be, be sacked uh, by Attila the Hun. So, it sounds like they made the cloaca in the way back, way back of the of the Romans um, to do the sewers. But it sounds like malaria continued to be a problem, even though is that correct? Like Rome, yeah, Rome was a malarial city. I mean, it didn't get rid of all all malaria in Rome, but it did help. It made it better than places that didn't have any kind of sewage system. And so, I imagine was it better for rich people um yeah as usual i mean the rich people were the people that could build something you know uh, uh, up high on a hill you know it, like anything if it was if there was some value added to it then they're going to make it more expensive and then it's going to be something for rich people i think it's just interesting how people they may not know like they thought it was the bad air from the swamp but it was really the mosquitoes that lived in the swamp that yeah, causing, they didn't know that back then. But they yeah. knew they knew it was the swamp. Right. And so the sweeter the air, the less mosquitoes. So if you were a rich person, I guess you could live where the sweet air was, but was accidentally where there were also no mosquitoes. Right. Our backyard, we'd be in danger. Our yeah, backyard's full we would of mosquitoes. Be in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, there are um, uh, modern parallels. So this is just a little uh, interesting thing. This is from the uh, it's from a journal called Bioscience, and the article is called "Deforestation, Mosquitoes, and Ancient Rome: Lessons for Today." So I'm just going to quote a little bit here: A growing body of research spanning studies from Africa, Australia, and the Amazon points to a connection between vector-borne disease rates and the nexus of ecological changes associated with deforestation. Mm. 
writing on malaria, vectors in Africa, for example, uh, Livingston observed that it is, quote, only when man cuts down the forest that breeding places for anophile gambe become most almost infinite. It is an observation readily explained. African forests in their native state do not provide a for favorable breeding habitat for the primary malarial vector. A gambae, uh, a gambae, which is the forest floor, which is dark and tends to absorb standing water, is not conducive to the open, sunlit pools favored by the larvae of this species. So, there you go. So, what that article is saying is that when you have this natural forest... It doesn't, it's not a favorable environment for mosquitoes. But as soon as you start clearing out the forest for your lovely homes or buildings or condos, condos, then you start creating the perfect breeding ground. Or, or for, you know, livestock, you know, making uh, so people can eat their McDonald's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're doing. What does it all mean? What does it all mean? What does it all mean now? What does it all mean? What does it all mean? What does it all mean now? When we talk about what it all means, I think what you said in your piece, Todd, about parallels is really what it all means to me. I think that, you know, I, I, I believe that you can find peaceful coexistence with a lot of things. I think that diplomacy works a lot more than it's utilized, and I believe in peaceful coexistence. But there is a constant battle between human beings and microbes and viruses and bacteria going on and there is no chance of peaceful coexistence and I want malaria to be solved malaria is a problem that is 100% fixable with money if the right will organization and finances were there we could cure malaria and all of the people you know it, it, like every other disease we've studied the lower you are on the poverty line the you know more devastating malaria is to you and those people wouldn't have to die and get sick and live with malaria if we could get rid of it. On the other hand, malaria has been around a lot longer than us. And it's fighting for existence every bit as much as we are. And we're helping it by deforestation and development. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the French idiom, plus ça change, plus ça reste la même, you know. What does that mean? Uh more things change the more they stay the same yeah i mean you know we're still doing all the diff we're still doing the same stuff that creates it uh there you go and this is where i go off into a wacky tangent are you ready for a wacky tangent todd uh, yes <laughs> i'm so ready <laughs> so this is where todd thinks that i've lost my mind but i have absolutely in my lifetime lost sleep over wondering if I'm a genocidal maniac against the ants. And this is related, just stick with me. I am very fond of animals, and I do not believe in killing animals, and I love animals, but I kill ants, or I pay someone to come and kill ants here. 
and in the ants movie if ants made a horror disaster movie i'm the bad guy in that movie i'm a genocidal maniac against ants and so sometimes i lay awake and think you know what right do i have to kill all these ants is my extent of animal protection only go for animals that are cute and fuzzy do i not want to protect ants and the reason why i bring this up is that sometimes i think about something it's not malaria the malaria protozoa or whatever isn't a sentient being i don't think but if this was star trek we'd be trying to communicate with it it is fighting for life every bit as much as we are and it might win and i don't know if you know what people bring to the table is so great that maybe the malaria doesn't deserve to win is that a wacky is that crazy Okay. <laughs> That's the patient sound of a man who thinks I'm crazy. Officially weird. Okay. Okay. That's my Judge Todd okay. moment. So what's weird? What do you I, think I'm, is I'm the hitting my, my gavel. <laughs> okay. So what's weird about that? Counsel, you may approach the bench. <laughs> <laughs> Officially weird. As I, 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 I'd be here all night talking about how weird that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Get a grip. That's weird. What, what can I say? <laughs> if it's between me and Ann, I'm smushing the ant. I, I don't think about that. That doesn't keep me up at night. So. Okay, but do you see? Okay, I get that. I mean, I'm still killing ants, even though I'm worrying about it. So I get that. But if. Malaria has been around longer than us, and we're actually helping malaria to survive with our efforts. Maybe malaria has outsmarted us. Maybe we have just, I mean, malaria makes use of us. You know, it makes use of the mosquito. It stabs us. It transfers it into our bodies. Like, we're not using malaria to survive. Malaria is using us. Word. You know? Yeah, I yeah. Maybe Malaria is the I'm, criminal is, mastermind. Right. Well, great. I'm just trying not to get it. And that's about <laughs> as far as I go with malaria. I don't ascribe an intelligence to malaria. I don't think it, you know, like reads the paper or 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 I don't malaria is not doing research. It's just this stuff that kills you. That's it. No more, nothing less. At least that's okay. the way I think about it. I think yours is the majority view. I don't disagree with you. And I don't know. Th I mean, I want to get rid of malaria. Don't get me wrong. I want to get rid of malaria. I just think in the terms of what does it all mean, there is no peaceful coexistence with human beings and these viruses and diseases and bacterias that we are talking about in this podcast. It is us against them in this battle. And I wonder, you know, what are the things that kill us in the highest numbers? It's these diseases and ourselves, right? It's war and pandemics. And that's what kill people. And I don't think we're winning. <laughs> yeah, that's a bummer. I mean, what are you going to do about that? You know, I mean, you know. No, no, no. Sorry, I have revealed far more about my psyche probably than I meant to reveal in this podcast. But these are the things that I think about lying awake at night thinking about this podcast is that 
we don't see like we have all this medical science we have all this stuff but we're still doing the things that, i mean reasonable people can disagree about where covid came from but there is an argument that developing into jungles and forests getting animals from those places and eating them could result in contracting a virus that creates a worldwide pandemic. The development that we do in the name of civilization and progress, we're just bringing more viruses around. Climate change, largely man-made, is bringing more viruses to the surface. It's not like we're at the top of our game fighting these things. Okay, you know what I think about if I wake up in the middle of the night? What? They're putting out Tim, the replacements record, like they're putting out a box set, you know, this fall. I'm hoping they remix it because the original mix is pretty lousy. He did it on headphones. That's kind of what I think about. <laughs> I really want to hear a good mix of that album. It's, it's one of the best of the 1980s. And that's kind of what I think about. And I can't find out any information. I know it's coming out. I read an interview with Tommy Stenson. Okay, so we have different processes. <laughs> I really want a remix of that album. You're so you don't lay awake at night wondering if you should stop killing, killing ants. Killing ants. No, I, I'm I'm hoping that. And when is the Let It Be box going to come out, for goodness okay. sake? Okay. Okay. Well, obviously this What Does It All Mean went on. I took it down a weird road. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, what it all means is that I think that humanity is not humanity's best defense against viruses we seem to do a lot to help the virus survive and thrive and don't do things that might be healthier practices to prevent the spread of something like malaria well all i can say to that is where you been <laughs> i mean seriously you know no you, you no no we're the worst okay. right okay all right all right well thank you very much see ya Thank you for listening to the final episode of Season 1 of My Favorite Plague. Please go to our website at myfavoriteplague.com where there are plenty of resources and information for non-members, but also the chance to become a member and get all those members-only episodes. We really appreciate you all. Thank you and have a lovely and plague-free day. <laughs>